Welcome back to Section 247 Presents the Goal Line Stand. And yes, you're hearing it correctly. Uh, this is not the Captain Michael Lipinski. It is I, Brett Halpern, uh, venturing forth on a solo mission today. Uh, Mike, unfortunately, had some uh, matters to attend to. Everything is okay. He sends his regards to everyone. Looks forward to being back on the show next week. But there is too many things going on um, in light of free agency developments, trades, uh, and also we needed to provide some more positional rankings for the draft prospects. So that is why I, Brett Halpern, uh, am here with you today. Uh, it is a pleasure as always. Miss you guys. Hope everyone is doing well. Hope everyone is getting vaccinated, staying healthy. Um, but yes, here we are, the goal line stand, all football, all the time. We are a Sports Talk Philly partner, sportstalkphilly.com. We are brought to you, as always, by Michael's Glass Company, the premier glass company of the Delaware Valley area, 215-338-3293. Please tell them that Mike and Brett sent you. Um, always, you know, as usual, check us out on all social media platforms, at GL Stand Show on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, we have our YouTube page. We might be doing our mock draft special both as a podcast platform as well as on YouTube so you can see our beautiful faces. Links will be in the show notes as always. Uh, also, look out for our, or be sure to join our new Goal Line Stand group on Facebook. Uh, so, what's coming up in addition to this? podcast uh next week we're going to have the defensive prospect rankings so for all of the various positions i will be giving you my top five also look out for each of the top five for each position on all social media we're going to have a three round mock draft we haven't decided yet if we're going to do one big episode with all three rounds or cut it up into a one round mock draft show and then rounds two and three uh, we're also going to have a draft recap show, and I'm also very excited to announce I'm going to be doing a special interview with Joe Ruback, who, for those of you that aren't familiar with that name, he's better known as License Plate Guy, who's probably now the most famous of any New York Giant fan. He's the, you know, unofficial mascot, so to speak, and I don't mean that in a uh, negative sense, so... I'm going to be speaking with Joe uh, to talk about how someone sort of grows into becoming the most notable fan of a team. You know, there's Fireman Ed for the New York Jets. There's License Plate Guy for the New York Giants. Uh, we're going to talk about that, current state of the New York Giants, the NFC East, as well as some historical things, his favorite players, what he misses most about maybe Giant Stadium, the 80s and 90s era, things of that nature. Really looking forward to it. So, anyways, let's get on to the news. Um, I think we're going to probably start out a little sad, a little negative, and then get more positive towards the end. So, unfortunately, um, as the, many of you may have heard yesterday, tragically, uh, a former NFL player, Phillip Adams, who had five years in the, uh, in the NFL with five different teams, tragically killed five people four of which were from the same family. Uh, he killed Dr. Robert Leslie, uh, Dr. Robert Leslie's wife, Barbara, two of their grandchildren, Adam and Noah, as well as another victim, James Lewis. 
Uh, this all took place in Rock Hill, South Carolina. There was a sixth victim who's in the hospital with serious gunshot wounds. Apparently, the story now coming out is that Dr. Leslie had treated Adams and that this may have been a dispute over medication. Frankly, look, there, there's no dispute which would warrant such a heinous act, and this is absolutely terrible. You know, it does beg to question whether Adams was of sound mind and, you know, did he have CTE? Uh, I'm hopeful he, you know, he, I should mention he then took his own life after committing these atrocious crimes. Uh, frankly, I hope his family will be willing to send his brain in for studies because unfortunately, that's really the only way, at least right now, I believe, the medical community is able to conduct studies pertaining to uh, CTE, which is chronic chronic traumatic encephalophagy. encephalophagy. Forgive me, I, I, I just know it as CTE. Uh, but so I'm, I'm hopeful that... Look, frankly, I don't think there's any good that comes from this, but at least if there could be any advancements on the studies of CTE, then at least let's try to do that. Then I guess we the next thing we should get to is the Deshaun Watson saga. I, I think we've now graduated from a story to a saga. Um, as many of you know, there are now over 20 women that have come forward with civil lawsuits claiming sexual assault surrounding inappropriate inappropriate behaviors that Deshaun Watson engaged in during massages that he received. Um, this actually, the, some breaking news, this morning, there, the court ruled there was an emergency motion uh, filed on behalf of Deshaun Watson for one of the one of the 20 plus plaintiffs to come forward and actually reveal, her identity. You see, when there is a sexual assault complaint, you are sometimes you're able to bring forward a complaint, but shield the the victim uh, so that they don't have to reveal their identity. In Texas, though, it's actually left to the discretion of the court, and a lot of people are thinking that the reason that Deshaun Watson's attorney is doing this is actually an effort to get the various plaintiffs because so there was one ruling this morning that the plaintiff has to reveal her identity there's now another uh, subsequent hearing in a different court for about 13 other plaintiffs uh, because these these um, cases were filed in a few different courts so the theory is that if these women have to reveal their identities, well, then maybe they'll want to just settle their cases prior to becoming public. There was one of the plaintiffs has already on her own accord come forward and revealed her identity. Her name's Ashley Solis, and apparently she's already been subjected to, you know, heinous comments, death threats, things of that nature, because obviously, you know, to, to some deranged people, it's more important simply that Deshaun Watson uh, win football games for the Texans or whomever he plays for next. Um, hey, look, I'm not saying that Deshaun Watson is guilty. Uh, every person is presumed innocent until proven guilty. I will say the one strategy that I really did not agree with, Deshaun Watson's 
attorney, Rusty Hardin, came forward, uh, I believe this was last week or at the tail end of the week before, came forward and said, look, we have the names of 18 female masseuses that say that Deshaun Watson's behavior has been complete, was utterly appropriate. He was nothing but professional and a gentleman. And while I'm hopeful that that is the truth, what to me is strange, and this was then confirmed later because several other professional football players uh, responded to this tweet, uh, which had this announcement, is that why is it that Deshaun Watson needs approximately 40 different female masseuses? One of the former NFL players, I forget who it was, tweeted something like, yeah, I was in the pros for 10 years. I had two massage therapists during that entire time. So, again, I'm glad that at least for 18 women that he acted appropriately. It's just a little strange that you would you know, want so many different women. It, it does sort of, I think, lend itself to the creation of a theory that that kind of behavior, seeking so many women, would be more for not therapeutic or uh, medicinal purposes, but for other endeavors. Again, everyone is innocent until proven guilty. We shall see. With respect to the football side, well, also you could, there's numerous, um, many of Deshaun Watson's, um, uh, the companies that were sponsoring him uh, have quickly started to distance themselves. And frankly, I don't understand why the NFL doesn't simply place Deshaun Watson on the commissioner's exempt list. He gets paid, which he should right now because he hasn't been proven guilty of anything. But these, there's enough allegations now to the point where the NFL should look into this, follow these cases closely. I don't think he should be playing while this is going on. Um, obviously, as relates to any of Deshaun Watson's trade request, I think it really renders them dead for the moment because all of these things need to play out. The other thing is that it also, the Texans now lose all leverage because Deshaun Watson will be a far less valuable commodity because of these pending legal issues. So I really don't see how Deshaun Watson has moved right now unless he's outright released. But if he is released, it's probably because these legal cases go south. And there is also a criminal investigation undergoing in Harris County, Texas. So I know if that is the case, he will then probably be suspended by the league. So it's not like any other team is going to sign him at that point. Hey, look, this is a really sad story. It's sad if, if true, it's a waste of talent. Obviously, more importantly, it's tragic for the women involved. Uh, but we will keep you posted. I'm sure all of you will be following it along with the various news outlets. And, and you know, to the extent that there's updates, we'll, we'll talk about them. Uh, so, yeah, I know this is not the <laughs> the uh, most exhilarating start to the show. But on a much lighter note, something that has frustrated my, I know myself and Mike for many years and probably a lot of you. The NFL has always been so rigid with respect to not only uniforms but uniform numbers and it looks as if the nfl is finally going to loosen up a little bit with respect to numbers there is a proposed rule change which is anticipated to be passed 
in that uh, offensive linemen and defensive linemen, it's the same numbers. For quarterbacks now, it's still 1 to 20. Running backs, 1 to 40. But here's the big difference. Wide receivers, linebackers, and defensive backs can now wear a number between 1 and 10. So for tight ends, or excuse me, let's start with uh, wide receivers and tight ends. 1 to 49, 80 to 89. For linebackers, 1 to 49, 90 to 99. Defensive backs, 1 to 49. So what's going to happen? In reality, it means there's going to be a lot of big-time players who end up getting single-digit numbers. I got to under I got to believe the NFL is going to be happy with this because a lot of people now are going to end up buying new jerseys. So I don't understand why it was an issue to begin with. Plus, with the expansion of the practice squad, the expansion of, of players who could be active um, on an active roster, and with teams continuing to retire numbers, there was starting to become a numbers crunch in various positions because you just simply didn't have enough numbers available due to these ridiculous arbitrary rules. So this made all the sense of the world. And, you know, the NFL is hopefully going to understand the less rigid they are, the more money they make. So hopefully this will then expand into their posture towards having only one helmet color during the season, things of that nature, so that teams can start wearing alternate uniforms. They start wearing alternate uniforms. Guess what? More fans will buy the ultimate, the alternate uniforms. So, again, rigidity to me does not equal dollars. Um, so, with that said, probably the biggest news since our last episode, which does involve the Philadelphia Eagles, is that the San Francisco 49ers, the Miami Dolphins, and the Philadelphia Eagles really sent shockwaves through the first round. Uh, of the NFL draft within like a 30-minute time period. So what happened first? The San Francisco Niners traded up from the 12th pick to the third pick, which was owned by the Miami Dolphins, by giving up three first-round picks. Then about 30 minutes later, the Miami Dolphins traded from number 12 back up to number 6, which was the pick owned by the Eagles. In doing so, so the Eagles gave up picks number 6 and 156 to Miami in exchange for number 12 and number 123 this year, as well as a 2022 first-round pick. So in reality, the Philadelphia Eagles could have three first-round picks next year, which is rather remarkable. So what does this tell us? I think first, at minimum, there's the first three selections in the NFL draft are going to be quarterbacks. It's going to be... Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, and then another quarterback. The rumor right now is, surprisingly, that it's Mac Jones. Uh, but we'll get to that in the mock draft. I think that's a mistake. We shall see. That's the rumor and innuendo right now. However, you know, again, those things are very fluid. Fl- excuse me, fluid. Number two, it's clear by the Dolphins trading back up from 12 to 6 that they still want to draft one of the top pass catchers in the draft, which is why they got up to six, to get a Jamar Chase, a Kyle Pitts, Jalen Waddell, or uh, Devonta Smith, one of those four. Again, from the Eagles' perspective, uh, you know, there's going to be five quarterbacks taken before the 12th pick. So they're going to have a guarantee of one of the top seven 
non-quarterback players in the draft, which to me include a top tight end, two top offensive tackles, three wide receivers, two cornerbacks, and an elite linebacker. All of those players I mentioned are elite and all are areas of need for the Philadelphia Eagles. So honestly, I don't see it as being an issue. Um, I know a lot of people, a lot of Eagles fans are clamoring for a wide receiver, but I would also tell you it's a deep draft. You could get someone in the second round who I would argue is probably still better than Jalen Rager. I mean, he was Jalen Rager was your first round pick last year. So yeah, this is really uh, shaking up the first round and it's going to be very interesting. Another trade, which is definitely shaking up the first round, uh, the Sam Darnold era in New York is over. The Jets traded Darnold to the Carolina Panthers in exchange for the sixth round for a sixth round pick in this draft, as well as a second and fourth round pick for next year's draft. So the Jets garnered three picks for Sam Darnold. Um, this leads me to think this is the only component that leads me to think that Mac Jones is not going to the Niners. And the reason I say that is that the reports are that Carolina is not enthralled with Mac Jones. Now, why is that relevant? Well, if Carolina believed that San Francisco was not drafting Mac Jones, right, at three, that means they're drafting Justin Fields or Trey Lance. The other thing is Carolina is not going to be able to get up to number four to trade with because they're not going to Atlanta is not going to trade within the division. So if Mac Jones is the only quarterback that they might be available, they're not going to want him, which is why I think they pulled the trigger on the Sam Darnold trade. But, you know, we will see uh, again. This is something we're going to discuss a little bit more um, at, with the, the mock draft. Uh, Mike and I are going to discuss this a lot. It's very interesting. I think really the draft starts really at pick number three with what the Niners do. And then also at number four, what the Fal- do the Falcons stay at number four, choose a quarterback for the future? Do they choose a pass catching option? They desperately need edge help, but there's really no edge defenders that are worth the number four pick. So then it's, okay, are they trading down? And then who's going to trade up for a quarterback? All very interesting things. So, from an Eagles perspective, since the last episode, I believe I believe Joe Flacco had just been signed. Uh, so congratulations to Audubon Zone. I think it's really, I think from a sentimental and parochial standpoint, I think it's great when Delaware Valley guys come home and play for their local team. Particularly, you know, if they're fans of the team and, and all reports are Flacco was a fan growing up of the Eagles. The only thing that is curious about this move is there's been several instances now in which Joe Flacco has served as the veteran with a young up and coming presence at quarterback. And he really has not been or demonstrated to be the Josh McCown like quarterback, meaning he is willing to tutor and bring along the younger player. And I believe in an interview, he said, look, I'm coming here to start. Now, I like the attitude, and obviously you want the best of Joe Flacco, but I think we can all agree that the best of Joe Flacco right now is not worthy of being a starting quarterback in this league. 
this year is about seeing whether or not Jalen Hurts is the guy. So if you were going to bring in a veteran quarterback, wouldn't you have brought in one that would be more willing to help Jalen Hurts develop? That's my only issue with the move. But we shall see. Um, Turning to the New York Giants, um, if there has been one constant since this show has began, uh, as many of you know, it is my disdain, distaste, distrust of the New York Giants general manager, one Dave Gettleman, who I lovingly referred to as the putts of East Rutherford. Well, I still think he's the putts of East Rutherford, but I am man enough to give credit where credit is due. And at the time of the recording of the last episode, the Giants had not really signed anyone of note. Uh, they had just re- they had just signed Leonard Williams to a contract extension, so he was no longer on playing on the franchise tag. They had just lost Dalvin Tomlinson I would, to the Minnesota Vikings, and I was rather upset. Since then, what have they done? At wide receiver, they've signed they signed John Ross to a, a, a small prove-it deal for one year. Then they signed the top wide receiver in all of free agency, Kenny Galladay. Four years, $72.5 million. At defensive end, they signed Ifiati Odenigbo, uh, one year, $2.5 million. The defensive end for the Minnesota Vikings, who had, we've had seven or eight sacks in the 2019 season prior to the arrival of Yannick Ngakwe to the Vikings. Speaking of former Vikings, at tight end, the Giants signed former Pro Bowl tight end Kyle Rudolph to a two-year, I believe it's a $14 million deal. At offensive guard, they signed Zach Fulton, who is a former starter for the Houston Texans. At nose tackle, they brought in Danny Shelton, uh, who last year played for the Lions, played, I believe he won a Super Bowl ring with the Patriots. He was a former first-round pick for the Cleveland Browns, a massive Man, uh, it was one year, essentially a veteran minimum deal. Uh, at inside linebacker, they brought in Reggie Ragland from the Detroit Lions. Obviously, you can see there's a theme of players who have played with other other New England coaches who are either familiar with the Belichick system or have had previous experience with Joe Judge. So you have Reggie Ragland uh, from Detroit. Ryan Anderson, an outside linebacker, one-year veteran minimum deal. He actually played at Alabama while Joe Judge was a coach there. So there's that familiarity. And then at cornerback, the Giants made another big splash by getting a Dory Jackson from Tennessee for three years, $39 million. So why am I – I'm happy about this. Uh, Why am I happy? Well, you got a legitimate number one wide receiver in Kenny Galladay. We've not had a legitimate number one receiver since we traded away Odell Beckham. By signing Galladay, it allows Sterling Shepard to return to the slot where he's best. He simply is not as effective on the outside. This also takes pressure off of Darius Slayton, who becomes the Z receiver, is not receiving as much double double, um, double teams, as much attention. I think Darius Slayton is a at best a solid Robin and not a Batman, so to speak. Additionally, with now a solid wide receiver crew, wide receiver crew, excuse me, which also includes John Ross, John Ross, who, when healthy, can take the top off of defense, a la Deshaun Jackson, Tyreek Hill. 
And granted, he is never healthy, which is why they paid him a veteran minimum deal with incentives. So if he is healthy, he'll get some more money. But either way, it's up to just two and a half million dollars. This really is a proven deal. But if healthy, he takes the top off of a defense. So it opens up the rest of the field. But with a far more talented wide receiver crew, it now will force defenses to no longer just stack the box for eight guys to stop a returning Saquon Barkley, who we, you know, obviously did not have for 15, or excuse me, 14 and three quarters games for a lot of last season. You know, to me, I think that this all really makes a lot of sense. Also, you got a solid inline blocking tight end in Kyle Rudolph, who's a viable red zone threat. You're able to reduce Nate Solder's salary, bring him back to be a manageable swing offensive tackle. You brought Zach Fulton in for veteran depth along the inside of the line. So now, for the first time since he has been a New York Giant, Dave Gettleman has assessed, or excuse me, has assembled a roster to now we can truly evaluate whether Daniel Jones is a legitimate quarterback that could move forward with the Giants. And this is before his first contract is up. He has weapons. Now there's no more excuses. So, and we still have the draft left. So presumably, I got to believe there's going to be either another one or two offensive linemen, another running back, maybe another receiver that is going to be drafted. So there is going to be weapons and support for Daniel Jones. Now is the time. It's put up or shut up. We're going to see if he really is worth it. From a defensive standpoint, we obviously lost Alvin Tomlinson, but I would say in general, the defense is better now than it was when it ended the season. Danny Shelton is a viable replacement for Dalvin Tomlinson, coming in very cheap, by the way. Brought in a solid defender, uh, defensive end in uh, Odenigbo from the Vikings. I think Reggie Raglan is an upgrade. Provides a veteran presence next to Blake Martinez on the inside. A Dory Jackson pairing with James Bradbury. That is an excellent one-two punch at cornerback. Additionally, a Dory Jackson brings special teams abilities similar to Jabril Peppers. I think Ryan Anderson stout against the run and offensive linebacker. So, yes, we don't have the dominant pass rusher, but this team produced 40 sacks last season without a star pass rusher, and you're getting back from injury Lorenzo Carter and O'Shane Simonez. So hopefully the two of them could combine for something. We shall see. Look, I'm now excited to see the Giants play. I'm bullish. I'm not, you know, going into last year, I was more excited to see if the Giants might be able to get Trevor Lawrence or, Justin Fields, I didn't think Zach Wilson uh, would really develop into what he was at the time. But I now think that there's a legitimate chance they could, you know, play for the division. Who knows? I'm bullish on the Giants. And you know what? That's credit to Dave Gettleman. And I know some people might be complaining that the contracts are structured in a way where he's kicking the can down the road regarding guaranteed money. However, the salary cap was... Uh, particularly low this year due to the pandemic, and it's going to grow exponentially starting in a year because of the TV revenue. So to me, I'm perfectly fine with it. So you've heard it. Brett Halpern is happy with the job that David Gettleman, the general manager of the New York Giants, did with the free agency class of 2021. Kudos to you. 
is the first time I have been excited about a free agency class. Probably, yeah, 2016 got everyone excited. I thought they overpaid for Olivier Vernon. To me, this is a, a haul very similar to 2005 when you brought in Plaxico Burris, Antonio Pierce, and Kareem McKenzie. So we shall see. I, I'm. I, it's nice to be excited about the team again. So with that said, other than the season itself, my favorite day of the year is the NFL, excuse me, favorite days of the year are the NFL, the three days of the NFL draft. Uh, in a prior episode, I gave you my top five quarterbacks. Uh, I recently, or we actually recently posted on Instagram the top five quarterbacks, so definitely check that out. But because the draft is coming up, I wanted to just quickly go over the top five prospects at each position. So for today, we're just going to do the offensive positions. Next week, we're going to go over the defensive positions. And for all of you special teamers out there, um, look, kickers and punters and God knows us giant fans, we know the long snappers uh, play an important part, but I'm just not going to spend time uh, evaluating the incoming crop of long snappers. Uh, Maybe next year because Rutgers actually has a good one coming up, but that's about it. So let's start with probably the sexiest position on the offense and one that has a ton of top talent, and that is the wide receivers. So for me, my number one wide receiver is Jamar Chase from LSU. 6'1", 208, has elite strength for the position. He opted out. He didn't play this past year, but if you look, his stats were very similar to Devonta Smith this year, Uh, and he was the main wide receiving threat for the LSU National Championship uh, team. People forget, as great as Justin Jefferson played this year as a rookie in the NFL, most people would tell you Jamar Chase was the guy at LSU and a far better prospect. So that's how I, I'm. he is, again, elite strength, great route runner. He is probably one of the best receivers in quite some time at 50-50 balls. A lot of people compare him to Anquan Bolden. But here's the difference. Anquan Bolden, which is rather remarkable, I think he ran about a 4.7 or 4.840. Jamar Chase ran a 4.3840. So if you have that kind of strength with that kind of speed, which means you're able to separate, which Anquan Bolden was rarely able to do unless he was able to find space in a zone, you know, you're going to have an incredibly uh, talented and dangerous weapon on your team. My number two wide receiver is Jalen Waddell from Alabama, 5'10", 182. Um, obviously, some people are going to be like, whoa, why, why don't you have Devonta Smith? So Devonta Smith is my number three. I'll get to him in a moment. To me, the reason I'm choosing Jalen Waddell is when evaluating prospects, if you if comparing two guys, if one of them possesses elite traits that are super rare, of which maybe one or only – one or two other players in the league possess those traits, and that's it. To me, I'm going to put that player first. So Jalen Waddle, 5'10", 182, has elite burst and long-term speed. Um, you know, so at one point, which is remarkable, Alabama had Jalen Waddle, Devonta Smith, Jerry Judy, and Henry Ruggs as their four top receivers. And apparently there was once a famous race that they had and as fast as Henry Ruggs is, and he was clocked in the 4-2 range last year, 
Supposedly, Jalen Waddle, in terms of both his initial speed and then long-term speed, even blew away Henry Ruggs. So, to me, you're talking about a guy that has Tyreek Hill ability and that kind of effect on opposing defenses. He's a yard after the catch king, you know, and he's also displayed toughness. Uh, I mean, he even came back uh, after a broken ankle to play in the national championship game, which I think shows you the commitment he has to his team. Uh, I frankly don't think that was a smart move. But so for those elite, that elite aspect of his game, his speed, that's why I have Jalen Waddle as number two. Number three being Devonta Smith, 6'1", 170, the uh, reigning Heisman Trophy winner. He is the best route runner and has the best hands in this class. Um, he's demonstrated the ability to release off press coverage, but at 170 pounds and he, during the first of the two Alabama Pro Days, is like, yeah, I'm, I'm 170 pounds. You know, look, that is very small, and there's only been a few receivers of that stature that have been selected very high and also done well in the league. You know, the problem is when it comes to pro level cornerbacks, is he going to be able to get off of press coverage? And if not, then you're going to have to tailor an offense around getting him free releases, which means he's going to be more of a slot guy. He's going to be, you know, you're going to have to motion him around a lot. And he really is in reality. He's a possession receiver. He's not going to blow you away with speed. His speed is good. He's a 4-4 guy. I'm not saying he's slow, but that to me are the issues. You know, you're having a possession guy who's built like a toothpick, has displayed toughness. This guy, he has, um, you know, been the uh, defended against the gunner and the punt team, and there's a play where he literally lights the gunner up. So he likes to, he will stick his nose in and is even a willing blocker. But I just worry about the level of physicality. Yes, he played in the SEC, even the SEC West, the best division in all of football, typically. But the NFL is just a different level. You have grown men. So I do worry about that, and we shall see. My number four receiver is Rashad Bateman from Minnesota. 6'1", 210 pounds. Uh, had a stronger 2019 season than 2020. Plays actually bigger than his size. I, I think he's really best as an intermediate thre- threat, uh, intermediate route runner. Very good at 50-50 balls. Um, you know, probably could improve his yak ability, yard after catch. I like saying yak. It's fun. And <laughs> But I, I really like the guy. And I think he is, uh, I think, a perfect fit for the Tennessee Titans uh, with their first pick. I think he'd be a perfect replacement for Corey Davis who left to go play for the Jets. Um, you know, it's interesting. After the top three, it really is about taste. There's about four or five guys that I think if you looked at different people's rankings, it's like a rotating or revolving door uh, between them. So, but for me, my number four is Rashad Bateman. My number five is Elijah Moore from Ole Miss. 5'9", 184, tremendous do-it-all slot receiver. Great speed and agility. He's in the 4'3 range. He's got a willingness to work in traffic. Some people have at this slot for at this uh, for the fifth wide receiver another slot guy in Kadarius Tony. Um, I like Elijah Moore's agility a little better. I think he has a little bit better wiggle. Um, and just every time you watch Ole Miss, this guy was this kid was making plays. So to me, 
I, I'm really a fan of him. And so he's my uh, number five receiver. So going to running back, probably not the most talented running back class ever. There may be one, there will, at most, there's going to be two wide receivers drafted in the first round, but there could very well be none. Uh, to me, the clear-cut number one is Najee Harris from Alabama. He was a former consensus number one uh, recruit, 6'1", 230 pounds, has power and vision, but he's a three-down back. He has tremendous hands and some of the best route running you will see from a running back. So typically when you're bringing in, think of, you know, a James White for New England. You know, you don't need to bring in that other guy for the third down and you have a guy who's 6'1", 230 pounds, who's far more stout in, with respect to pass blocking, but is very dangerous against um, in the passing game. So I, I, just, I think he's a unique talent. Um, in terms of a fit, perhaps in the first round, a lot of people talk about the Steelers. To me, that makes sense. Uh, so he, he has been my number one running back for of this class for quite some time. Some people like the number two, my number two, which is Travis Etienne from Clemson. 5'10", 215, former track kid out of high school. He is the downhill home run hitter. Uh, he is the guy who's going to get you the 60, 70-yard touchdowns. I think there's going to be less of them available in the pros, though. He, he ran a 4-4, four, four, which, you know, I think he's he's probably the fastest running back of this group. Um, he's showed improvement in the passing game when he came back this past season. I think he's better suited for a zone scheme, which also, whereas Najee Harris is scheme flexible, I think Travis, Travis Etienne is much better in the zone scheme. My number three uh, running back is Javante Williams from North Carolina. 5'10", 220 pounds, violent. Uh, he just is a violent tone setter. I kind of liken him to Josh Jacobs, who uh, was a late first-round pick two years ago from Alabama. Uh, he doesn't quite have the same agility or wiggle that Jacobs has, but he will run through you and um, as opposed to running around you. And it's just one of those guys you love having on your team. Put up great numbers in North Carolina, as well as his backfield running mate, who's the number four, my number four running back, Michael Carter. North Carolina, 5'8", 202. Powerful for his size, very agile, exceeds. He's definitely more of your outside the tackle box. Could be a, th a third down guy, has decent hands. He needs to improve in that area. But I like him as my number four running back. And lastly, my number five running back is Demetric Felton from UCLA, 5'9", 189. He is a Swiss Army knife. He honestly, he when he, uh, during the Senior Bowl, he took, he did a lot of drills of wide receiver, and he was one of the most impressive wide receivers. So I think this is a guy who you can use, think like a Ty Montgomery, uh, but but frankly, much more athletic, much quicker. I think he's really an interesting prospect. So that's why I have him at number five. Moving on to tight end. I think the number one guy is, is quite obvious. It's Kyle Pitts from Florida. He's probably the most unique tight end prospect to come out. You know, yeah, look, yeah, I, there was the modern day tight ends who I think it started with Jeremy Shockey. And then moving forward, you had Kellen Winslow. We're not going to get into him. 
uh, on all these other fast tight ends, the Jimmy Grahams, other ones. But Kyle Pitts really is unique. So 6'5", 245 pounds. By the way, for all of us Delaware Valley guys, he is a local kid. I believe he played at St. Joe's uh, Prep. So he had a, ran a 4-4-4 40-yard dash. Uh, he just has rare athleticism and size. I'm also pretty certain that his wingspan is the biggest wingspan recorded of any pass-catching prospect to come into the league in the past 10 or 15 years. Honestly, he's a wide receiver prospect. If you look at his numbers and compare him with Mike Evans, who, you know, the perennial pro bowler from the Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers, that's who he compares to, except he's faster. He's a better athlete. If you're bringing him in to be a blocker, you're wasting your time. He really has not shown much of a desire to do that. But this guy is so athletic, you can line him up on the outside. He he really is more of like a bigger Megatron. He's not quite as fast as Megatron. But as I just said, he's faster than Mike Evans. Mike Evans ran in the four fives. And if you look at Kyle Pitts' three cone, uh, you know, his short shuttle, they his numbers exceed Mike Evans. So to me, even though I have him at tight end, really he's a wide receiver prospect. You're, you're just you're never gonna put him in as a blocker. You know, even in the goal line situation, you're gonna flank him out and then go throw, you know, a lob pass, um, you know, or a fade and try for him to go one on one and try to get the touchdown. Uh, in terms of traditional tight ends, my number two guys really fits that mold better. Um, yes, he's from Penn State, but. You know, look, he's a, he's a really good prospect. It's Pat Fryermuth. He's 6'5", 250 pounds. He's known as Baby Gronk. Uh, he's that classic athletic inline tight end. Very good blocker uh, in the run game as well as the pass game. He has the athleticism to excel in the pass game and create matchup problems against lesser linebackers as well as being far bigger than safeties in the typical safe ball, any safety, you know, when you're six, five, two fifty. So I, you know, I think that he's a very good prospect could go in the end of the first round. If not, he's, he's not going past the first third of the second round. Um, so one of the spots I, I typically slot him in is for Jacksonville's second pick of the first round. Uh, I think that that might be an interesting spot for him. My number three tight end is Hunter Long from Boston College. So even more so than Friar, uh, than Friermuth, he is that inline tight end, not as athletic as Friermuth, but perhaps an even uh, more stout blocker. I, when I see him, I think of a less athletic Kyle Rudolph from Kyle Rudolph's prime. So maybe he's just like Kyle Rudolph right now. Um, you know, if it wasn't for the fact that the Giants just signed Kyle Rudolph because this kid's from Boston College, I would think that they would draft him. But nevertheless, I think he's a very good player, um, and he's my number three tight end. My number four tight end, I going into the season, I actually thought he was going to be even better. Yeah, it's Brevin Jordan from Miami, came from Bishop Gorman out in um, Las Vegas, uh, played uh, in the stadium, the Fertitta Stadium, which was uh, designed and funded by the owners of the UFC, the former owners of the UFC. Not that, uh, so just for all of you combat sports fans, also check out our 
other podcast in the fight uh add in the fight show all social media had to get that plug in there so anyways going back to brevin jordan 6'3 245 pounds much more of a receiver as opposed to an inline blocker but he definitely does show the aggressiveness and willingness in the blocking game as compared with say kyle pitts um i see him i see gerald everett i see johnny smith that kind of build but there's some injury concerns with with uh, i believe there's a hand or a shoulder issue so particularly now i think actually the prospects as we speak are in indianapolis getting checked out medically so if you see him fall it's because of concerns of these injuries but right now i have him slotted slotted as my fourth tight end my last my number five tight end is tommy tremble from notre dame yeah, you know, I mean, literally going back to Mark Bavaro, it seems like there's always just at least a draftable tight end from Notre Dame. Tommy is 6'4", 248. Uh, I see him as more of an H-back, has decent athleticism, plays with very good effort, um, but you, know, you can just see the athleticism is limited to a certain extent, which is why, you know, he's not going to be able to, he's not higher up on the boards, and it's going to limit his ability in the pros. But I do think he's more of an H-back. You can move him around. So there's definitely a need there for certain teams. Had the Patriots not drafted two tight ends last year and then signed two more this year, to me, I think he screams Patriots kind of player. Uh, but, you know, I think he's a very good player to get in the middle rounds, fourth, fifth round. Going now to the big uglies. Uh, we're going to start with the offensive tackles. My number one offensive tackle is Penny Sewell from Oregon. 6'4", 331 pounds, ran a 509, 40-yard dash. You know, what's remarkable about him is he opted out this past year, and he's been a consensus top five prospect for this class for, for now two years. And I think what you see is that sometimes when a guy is just so good, and you saw this a little bit with Trevor Lawrence about a month ago, you start to almost what I'd say is over scout him and try to find weaknesses. Now he's still incredibly young. This he's only 20 years old. He has great initial quickness, super aggressive and unbelievable physicality. He's a mauler. Now, yes, he still has to be technically refined. Sometimes his hands get a little too wide. That's always a big problem. You know, I mean, that's how Eric flowers, spend his entire career with his hands out here now remarkably he was able to transition a guard just because of his sheer size and athleticism he's getting away with it but particularly out of left tackle you need to be able to get those hands in there tighter so that's something he needs to work on but the tools he has and at his age he's still going to be growing into his body and that to me is a scary prospect uh so i have him in number one my number two it is not much of a gap between number one and number two. And I, both of these guys, I think, are elite prospects. My number two um, offensive tackle prospect is Rashawn Slater. 6'4", 304, ran a 4'8", 40, elite athleticism and feet for an offensive lineman. He has shorter arms. Some people believe he could actually be, he would be the number one guard or center prospect. And he has the ability to play any position in the league, or excuse me, in the on the offensive line. He has very sound technique, and if you uh, go on YouTube, you can see he absolutely handled Chase Young in 2019. Chase Young was completely absent from their game. 
uh, which I will tell you right now, even though, you know, we still have mock draft is a few weeks away. This is why I would love for the Giants to draft for Sean Slater. To me, that is, okay, it, you always need offensive linemen, and you literally just then handled, you took care of Washington's uh, top pick from last year. All right, there you go, Chase Young. Here's your buddy, Rashawn Slater. He's going to follow you around for the next decade. So that's my thoughts, at least for right now. That could change. Anyways, number three, uh, offensive tackle, Tevin Jenkins, Oklahoma State. 6'5 and 7'8, 317 pounds, ran a 50140. Uh, this is he has elite aggressiveness. He is the ultimate mauler. He is looking not only to humiliate you, but your family in the stands. <laughs> I love it. It is just he is a finisher. He has an incredibly powerful first punch. I think he needs to work on his footwork a little bit. I think sometimes he, he leans a little bit. He sort of re, he relies upon that initial aggressiveness, whereas if he relies more on his technique, I think he really could be unstoppable. Uh, but he easily could come in and start, particularly a right tackle right away. But with that 50140, I mean, that's that's elite athleticism too, really, if you think about it. So uh, I, I really like him. Number four, Christian Darasaw. Virginia Tech, 6'5", 322 pounds. Uh, very powerful guy that is technically sound. The reason I have Jenkins over Darasaw is that though Jenkins does not use his feet well, when he does, as evidenced by that 40-yard dash, you can see that the feet are there, and I, I don't think that it will cause him problems throughout his career. To me, Christian Darasaw, when I watch him, I just think he has slower feet. Um, but, you know, I also think once he builds up momentum, he's going to move you wherever he wants. Uh, he's another very aggressive guy. So he's still a very solid first-round prospect. Uh, but those are the, the slower feet is why I have Darasaw behind Jenkins. And number five, I have Liam Eichenberg, Notre Dame, 6'6", 306. He's just going to be your solid 10-year pro at either tackle spot. He's going to be that guy who is ranked just outside of the pro bowlers every year, but he, you know, might when you, you know, might be a part of a team that wins several rings, just, you know, has great experience, played a lot on that Notre Dame offensive line, which keeps churning out pros. Uh, he may not be dominant in any one area, but he just shows high level of competency, both in terms of physical skills and fundamentals. So that's why I have Eichenberg as my number five. And lastly, for the interior offensive line, number one is Elijah Vera Tucker in USC, 6'4", 300 pounds. Tremendous athleticism and feet. He actually played left tackle this past season. Uh, but he's, he's better suited for guard. Uh, great body control and get off. His ability, particularly to engage in the run blocking game, I think he's going to come in. And this guy... His ceiling, I mean, his his ceiling is Pro Bowl or an All Pro level guard. Uh, number two is Landon Dickerson from Alabama, 6'6", 326 pounds. His only issue is right now he's recovering from an ACL injury. Uh, he has played all three positions in the interior of the offensive line, but he really became a dominant center. Started at Florida State, then transferred to Alabama, where he came under the tutelage of one uh, Kyle Flood. Fortunately, Kyle uh, or Coach Flood didn't have any concerts that he wanted to go to. But, look, as an offensive line coach, 
Uh, Coach Flood is very good, and now he's an offensive coordinator at Texas. Uh, so all you Longhorn fans, have fun. Nevertheless, going back to Lander Dickerson, uh, he's a leader, as I mentioned, well-versed in all three of those interior spots. Great at positioning his body for the run game. Super competitive. Uh, and really, I mean, if you think about it for a center, 6'6", 326, that is a larger guy. So he's able to anchor better against some of those massive nose tackles. You compare that with my number three guy, Creed Humphrey at Oklahoma, who's 6'4", 312, has been starting center at Oklahoma since he was a freshman. Now, you know, he's a former wrestler, plays with excellent leverage. But I think sometimes you can see the strength and size disparity when he's going up against those massive space-eating space eating nose tackles. Uh, but nevertheless, I think he will turn into being one of the best centers in the league. Number four, um, I always love these stories, Division Three prospect from Wisconsin Whitewater, Quinn Miners, 6'3", 320, um, feisty, strong, uh, just wants to get into it with anyone and everyone. Um, think Ali Marpet, who was a second-round pick out of Hobart and is the starting guard. He's one of the starting guards for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I would say the difference is Marpet was more of an athlete, where Miners is more of a mauler. But, again, similar story, similar kind of guy, similar outlook. Uh, really like the kid. I think he's a second or third round pick. Uh, my number five, some people probably have him ranked a little lower. I just, to me, this is a tone setting kind of player on an offensive line, and that's Deontay Brown from Alabama. 6'4. 364 pounds. He is a mauler. He is the, with respect to the two gaps he is defending, he is the great wall. Uh, he's not letting anything through. He has limited athleticism with respect to the pass rushing, but when it comes to, to run blocking, watch out. You're going to have a long day if you're going up against Deontay Brown. Um, again, some people, I think, get hung up on some of the limited athleticism. He might need to shed some of the pounds. He probably could be just as effective at 345 as he is at 365. Um, and I think that that's something that... But I reports are his weight has not been the result of laziness or an unwillingness to adhere to a diet. It's just that's just sort of how it has been in Alabama. Uh, so I think that he's coachable. And either way, whether it's at 345 or 365, this guy is a mauler and a guy I would want on my offensive line. So there you have it. That is the list. I, uh, we are going to be posting them throughout um, the next several days on Instagram. As I mentioned, next week we're going to be doing the defensive line prospects. So it has been a pleasure as always. Again, we are a Sports Talk Philly partner. SportsTalkPhilly.com, brought to you, as always, by Michael's Glass Company, 215-338-3293. On behalf of the captain, Mike Lipinski, it has been a pleasure. Mike will be back with us next week. I hope everyone stays safe, stays healthy. Let's get vaccinated so we can all go and watch these games in person uh, and have a wonderful weekend. Take care.